You're listening to Connection Church's podcast. Good morning, man. Glad you are here. If you're visiting with us, you're a guest here today for the first time. Welcome. Um, also want to say welcome back to a lot of our college students. I know you are excited to be going to class tomorrow, so I don't have to do that anymore. Sorry, but one day you won't either, so enjoy it. Um, but we're glad you're here. Glad you're back, man. You always bring so much energy to our church. We're very thankful for you. And uh, excited about what God's doing. I'm excited about Awaken and what God's going to do in the lives of teenagers here in our community. Um, and also just excited about what God's doing in our church and what I believe he's going to do over the next few weeks. As uh, he, He's just been stirring my heart. I can't remember, honestly, um, the last time my heart has been stirred in the way it's been stirred lately. And I just believe God has some really great things that he wants to do in us and then do through us. And so um, excited and, and hope you'll be a part of that. Um, and one of the ways you can be a part of that, speaking of being a part, is through our connect groups. And this is where we believe as a church that real life change happens. We believe that we take this large crowd, we break it up into small groups, and then people do life together. It's hard to know um, everybody in one section right now, much less everybody that's in this auditorium. But we want you growing closer to people who are going the same direction you are. Um, we want you to do life with people who are following Jesus, um, who can be with you, walk with you, um, walk with the good times or through the difficult times and celebrate the good times. And so um, we want you to be a part of that. And today you can sign up for a small group. If you're not in a connect group, man, you got to get in one of these groups. Like you really do. And you can sign up out in, in the hallway, either to, through these side doors or through the back doors. But we want you to be a part of that. Um, it's, it's just where we do life together. It's where real life change happens. So I hope you'll check those out and uh, get to be, become a part of a group. Now, um, this, this week, what we're doing, we're actually doing a message leading up to a series. Um, we're starting a new series next week. It's called Verses. And uh, like VS, or like the boxing match, like Tyson versus Holyfield. I'm old. That's the only boxing reference I actually remember. And so, um, but it would be, what we're looking at is cultural Christianity versus authentic Christianity or cultural Christianity versus an authentic faith in Christ. This is what we realize and what I've experienced um, in ministry that the biggest battle typically that we have in the South is a battle against what I would call cultural Christianity, which is really no Christianity at all. It's just where we become a part of a culture that attends church, that goes through religious motions, but is void of a relationship with Jesus. And so my prayer is that beginning today and going over the next um, three weeks after today, that we will punch cultural Christianity right in the teeth because my desire for you is not that you would go through religious motions that are void of the presence of Jesus and his power, but that you would walk hand in hand in a relationship with a very real and a very living God. Amen. This is going to be good. I mean, I'm excited. I'm jacked up. I feel like God has some awesome things for us in the next few weeks. Today, we're going to kick this off. We're going to be in um, Philippians chapter two. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Philippians chapter two, but we're going to read um, beginning in verse five in just a minute. Um, if you don't have your Bibles, it'll be on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, stop by our guest services table. We will gladly give you a Bible. We want every person in this church to have a Bible. We want you to bring your Bible. We want you to study your Bible. We want you to read your Bible and we believe that that too will change your life. So what I want to do now is pray. Then we're going to jump into the message and we're going to get going. And I really believe God has something powerful in store for us today. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for life. God, I pray that your word would come as a sword that pierces our heart. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will move in a mighty and awesome way as we 
look at the response you call us to today as we respond to your gospel. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be able to walk out of here without looking eye to eye with you and making a decision about how we'll respond to what you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, how many of you can raise your hand for this? Um, How many of you wish that in every decision in life, there was only one response and that response was always the correct response? Raise your hands. Would that... That if everybody wants that, if you didn't raise your hand, you just didn't want to, because like everybody would love that, especially for instance, you're in line at McDonald's. Everybody in this room has been to McDonald's at least 15,000 times, right? Depending on your age, maybe more, maybe maybe a little less, but most of us, we've been there enough that most of us have the menu memorized. But when you get in line at McDonald's in the drive-thru, especially people look at it like it's in Greek and Hebrew, Right. And they're like, I don't know. It's either a Big Mac or a quarter pounder or a chicken sandwich or maybe a salad, right? I mean, just order. And so it'd be much easier if you just pulled up and there was one, one choice, there was one answer, there was one response, and it was always the one you wanted, right? It would make things so, so much easier. How about, how about if you're married? Um, would it not have made, like, when you got engaged a little bit more comfortable? Like, if the only thing she could say was yes, Right. Or if you're not married and you're and you're dating and you kind of you might have seen kind of a, a pretty girl in here today or a good looking guy in here today, guys. And you, you look and and you're like, man, I'd like to ask her out. Would it not change your frame of mind if you knew she had to say yes, it was the only response. Right. And in your mind, it's the correct response. And right now, there's probably a girl looking to her left or right going, I hope he doesn't get any ideas. Right. And so. Um, yeah, so guys, yeah, you probably should pray about that um, because there are more than one response to that question. And, uh, and then how about this one? Uh, you're starting school tomorrow. A lot of you guys, a lot of college students starting school. How much better would it be if instead of multiple choice questions, you just had choice? <laughs> right? How much better would it be? It's just like choice. I mean, you're done in five minutes. School would be a breeze. You wouldn't know anything, but school would be so much easier if it was just choice. And the thing is about life that there are responses to so many different things. There's so many questions with so many different responses that we, we face every single day. And here's the reality of it, guys. Listen, when we come to Jesus, when we come to the gospel, when we come to our relationship with God or the relationship that he offers us, if we don't yet have one, then, then there's only really one correct response. There's only one correct response. And the question we're asking you today is what is your response to what God has done? What is your response to what Jesus has done for you? What is your response to him? Everybody in this room has made and will make a response to Jesus. Because if you don't do anything, you still made a response, right? And there are tons of different responses that are represented in this room. For example, one of them, indifference, right? We're just indifferent about Jesus. It's kind of the teenage attitude about everything, right? It's like, whatever, whatever, I don't care, whatever, you're right? And so we come and we're just indifference. It's sort of, you believe what you believe, I believe what I believe, but at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. And so we come indifferent. A lot of us were hostile. You may have a hostile person sitting next to you right now. In fact, you may have brought a hostile person, someone that when you mentioned Jesus, when you mentioned God, they just flip out. And like, if he's not really God and Jesus isn't really who he says, he, why does it bother you so much? Right? But some people are just hostile. And here's the thing. They're not hostile because of what Jesus did or the life that he lived. They're hostile because of the lives we live. They're hostile because so many times we claim one thing and live another. 
But many people are hostile to God. Many people are hostile to God because of cultural Christianity. And so we have this hostility. Some of us have responded with hostility towards Jesus, towards his offer. Others have responded with skepticism, disbelief. And here's the thing I've seen with this is most likely if you have an intellectual objection to God, most likely if you have an intellectual objection to Jesus, it's not an intellectual problem. It's an accountability problem. Because for us to admit that God exists, for us to look at the evidence which is overwhelming would hold up in a court of law and say that Jesus is not who he says he is, um, it doesn't even make sense. So for us, it's just easier to say, well, God doesn't exist and Jesus isn't who he says he is. Because if I say that, there's no accountability in my life. If there's no truth, then I don't have to live any certain way. I can do whatever I want because all things are right. we've, We've lived long enough to know that's not true. And so most of the time to just have disbelief and skepticism is not because we sincerely have really thought it through. Most people who would claim that are avoiding accountability. But some of us have responded with disbelief, with skepticism. A lot of us have responded with nice sentiment, right? Nice sentiment like this, like, man, he was such a good guy. That Jesus, man, he was awesome. He loved everybody. Such a good guy. Some of us, I mean, he was a good teacher. There are some people who would even go as far as to say, man, if the world would just live according to the things Jesus taught, it would change everything. And you know what? They're right. But it's more of a nice sentiment where we sort of tip our cap to him. Well, that was good, Jesus, right? That was nice. But this is the thing I would tell each one of you is that we didn't need a good man. We didn't need a good teacher. We didn't need someone to point us to some truth. We needed someone who could live the truth, stand in our place, die for us because we couldn't live the life that we needed to live. We needed a savior who would take the punishment that we deserve for sin. The reality of it is, guys, every person in this room today, including myself, have sinned. The Bible is true. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all responded to God through rebellion. They're going our own way. And yet God in his awesome pursuit of us sent Jesus, not a nice man, not just a teacher, not just a guide, but the savior of the world, the king of kings and the Lord of lords who is ruling and reigning today. That's what God did for us. The last one I would tell you out of all of those Different things, whether it's indifference, hostility, skepticism, disbelief, nice sentiment. The last one would be all of the above, right? It's like Mark E. I don't don't know. Do you still use Scantron number two pencil Scantrons? You still got to have that? No? Yes? No? Yes? You do, huh? You would think with all of the technology advances, they would have figured out how to read lead that's not number two, right? I mean, you would think. But anyway, the reality of it is... Like it could be all of the above. It could be, be all of the above in how we've responded to what Jesus has done. I used to hate that on test. I'd be like, yeah, A is true. And then I get down and it's like A and B. I'm like, what? Right? But the reality of it is, man, listen, we've all responded in some way. What has your response been? Let me ask you this question. If we look at the Bible and we look at what Jesus has done for us and we see what God has done through him for us, what should our response be? 
How should we respond to what Jesus has done? And I want to read to you in Philippians chapter two, verse five. And when you read the book of Philippians, I want you to think about this. Paul loved the Philippians. He loved these Philippian people. And he's writing to them to encourage them to persevere in the faith, to draw and strengthen their joy in Jesus, to encourage them to continue to partner in the gospel with him and other believers. And so he gets to this point where he's describing how they should live if that's going to happen. If they're going to live in partnership, they're going to bring glory to God. And he gets to verse 5 and he says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And remember, the question is, what should I do in light of what Jesus has done for me? And so you look at this. He says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. In verse six, he says, who being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. And he begins to explain what God, what Jesus has done for us. And he says, listen, Being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. What he's telling us is that Jesus was God. He was very God. And yet he didn't consider equality with him. He didn't consider his rights as God to be something that he held on to. It was something that the Bible says, but he made himself nothing. In other words, with all the rights of God, he came and he emptied himself of all of those rights. He came and he poured all of that out so that he could come and be what you and I needed him to be. Not a good man, not a good teacher, not a good God, but a savior. And he emptied himself of all of that stuff. And he said, you know what? I'm going to go to them. And the Bible says that he became, he came Taking the very nature of a servant. The word for, for, for made himself nothing. The word for made means he emptied. The word for taking means he took hold of. What did he take hold of? He took hold of his purpose. He took hold of his calling. He took hold of what God had sent him there to do and to be. And he became a servant and he served us. You remember the example where he washes the disciples' feet? Nasty, old, dirty fisherman's feet. And yet he came and he served and he served obediently, the Bible said, because he humbled himself and came obedient to death, even death on the cross. This is what Jesus did. He came and he emptied all his rights. In other words, even though he had a right to live as though the world and the universe and everything made revolves around him, he didn't. Even though he had a right to to come and and to set up some physical kingdom that could have temporarily satisfied our needs, he had the right to do that and to have been praised by people for liberating them from Roman oppression. He didn't. Why? Because he had something better in mind. Even though he had the right to come and live as though everything were created by him, he didn't. He humbled himself to obedience. Even though he had the right to come and live as though everything were created for him, which it is, including you and I, he didn't lived that way. He emptied himself of everything so that he could come and live in obedience to his father, which we have not, nor can we do completely perfect, but he did it so that one day, just as it said, he could go to the cross. He could pay the price for my sin and your sin as he took it upon himself. And the one who had no sin became sin for you and for I, for me, so that we could become the righteousness of God. That's what he did. And that's what Jesus has done for us. See, there was this huge gap that was created between us and God because of our rebellion and because of our sin. Listen, you cannot say you do not have sin. Every one of us probably sinned before we got here this morning. We do. And it separates us. How many sins did it take to separate Adam and Eve from God? One. 
And so there was this chasm, this big gap that existed between us and God that had to be bridged. But God couldn't be just if he didn't justly punish evil. We don't like to think of ourselves as evil, but when you compare us to God, we are evil. When you compare Mother Teresa to God, she was evil. And yet God, in his great mercy and love for us, sent his son who could take the punishment, take the wrath that would justly satisfy the sin that we've committed. And Jesus died. So we have a response to make to what Jesus did. What is our response in light of what Jesus did for us? What are we, how are we treating Christ? How are we responding to Jesus because of what he's done for us? When you look at that, what do you think? Because here's, here's the big problem, guys. Our culture has perverted the beauty of these verses, Our culture has taken this relationship that Jesus offers us through his sacrifice and has perverted it so that we think now that Christianity is my attendance at church on Sunday. We think now that Christianity is simply reading my Bible once a day or for five minutes while I'm on the potty, right? It's our prayer that that maybe if I pray today and hold a lucky rabbit's foot, things will go well with me. And it's what our culture's taught us, not a relationship with a living God. It's taught us these things that we have to do. And see, here's where legalism kicks in. Legalism kicks in when we read our Bible, we attend church, we, we, we pray, we do all of these things to try to get God to love us rather than doing them because he already does. It's an attempt to make God pleased with us or love us rather than being in a relationship and experiencing him. And culture has taught us that if we do those things, in the end, it all works out. In fact, culture has taught us several things. And I want to give you real quick four things that cultural Christianity does. We won't spend a ton of time on these, but this is, these are four things that I believe cultural Christianity does and that we've all experienced. The first one is this, that cultural Christianity exalts you, not Jesus, It allows us to say we have a relationship with God, yet we remain the ultimate authority. It's in direct contrast to authentic, true Christianity. Cultural Christianity is no Christianity. It does not meet the the goal, the form, the faith that God calls us to be in, in Christ. It's putting up this facade that looks good on the outside, but on the inside, I'm void of a relationship with him. So all I've done is played this game for all my life. I was thinking about it this week and I was like, how can maybe help people see this? And I got to thinking about the movie, The Wizard of Oz, the old one, right? The first one. Well, it was in black and white. Then they made it color. It just looked cheesier, right? And you remember that? That movie creeped me out. I don't know about you, but it creeped me out. Like them little monkeys with the wings and stuff. Like I didn't even like to watch it. It was like a horror film for me, man. It was just weird. But the whole point was to get to what? Get to Oz. Get to The Wizard of Oz. Because he would grant all their wishes. He would do all this stuff for them. And they, they, they went. And, and when they got there, there was this curtain, remember? And it had like the little the creepy little face on there and the voice that was coming out from it. And the thing that, what, that happened was that curtain, behind that curtain or, or, and, and around them was supposed to be this supreme being, this, this, this thing that could do anything, right? And that, that, that they were coming to submit their lives to. But then when the curtain got moved, who was behind it? Like this little dorky dude, Right? And he was sitting back there, he was controlling all of it with these controls. 
And I thought about how that's so much like our lives. So many of us walk in and out of church or we claim Christianity. We would say that we're a Christian, but there's a facade of Christianity. But if the curtain were really removed, who's in control is us, a man, ourselves, a woman, you, I'm not a woman, so I can't make that my, I can't own that. But the reality of it is that for many of us, there's this facade that God is in control of our lives, that we've submitted our lives to him, that by faith, we've put him in that place of authority. When in reality, it's just a curtain and behind it, we're still in authority. Another thing that cultural Christianity does is it allows you to claim you belong to the church, which is the people of God, not brick, not mortar, it's you, it's us, it's the people of God, right? It allows us to claim that we belong to the people of God without commitment. And that is biblically, spiritually impossible. When we belong to one another, it comes with great commitment. When you're baptized, you're baptized into a family. You're baptized into a body. You come into a relationship with people. But cultural Christianity allows us just to come in and go out. It allows us just to casually attend without really getting involved, without really knowing people, without really beginning to love people and care about people. It allows us to be in a connect group or not be in a connect group because we just don't think we like them. Now, they might be weird. And you're right. Like We are weird. We're all weird. Everybody's weird. You come be weird with us, right? And so the reality is it allows us just to come in. It allows us to come in and go out without serving, without giving, without doing anything, without commitment. And so this cultural thing is as long as I come in on Sunday, I can get a band-aid for my conscience. I can feel better about me because of all the bad stuff that I did throughout the week. But other than that, there's no relationship. And it allows us to say that we're a part of the body without any true commitment to the body. Another one that it does, cultural Christianity, it, it promises to fulfill you, but leaves you frustrated. It promises to fulfill you, but it leaves you frustrated, right? It's one of those things where, where many of us in here today would say, I'm just frustrated with what we would call religion. And the reality of it is most of us have probably been there if we're not there now. And we're just frustrated because what religion does and what cultural Christianity does is it gives you this book of do's and don'ts, right? Do this, don't do that. And it's void of relationship. Think about this. When you got saved, like everybody was like, you know, come as you are, just as I am, you know, like the whole, the Billy Graham song, like just as I am, you know, that one plea, you know, and, and people are coming. And then like the next week they walk up and give you a Bible that weighs like 42 pounds. And they're like, memorize this by next week. Right. And it goes from being about a relationship with Jesus to being about do's and don'ts. And and our eyes get taken off of him and put on all of these things. And we miss the sweetness of a fellowship with God. We miss the sweetness of a relationship with Jesus. We miss the power of the spirit working in our lives because it just becomes about what I have to do or what I can't do, not is God working in me. So many times we try to work our salvation in rather than realizing that it has to start in and work out. And so we need to come to this place of asking the question, if I'm frustrated with my relationship with God, if I feel empty, if I'm not feeling fulfilled, then have I settled for some type of cultural Christianity, this religious system that robs us of our joy and goes so much against the grain of the gospel? The last one I'll tell you is this. It gives a false sense of where we will spend eternity. This is the one that keeps me up at night. 
This is the one that scares me to death. This is the one that I know one day, if I don't tell you the truth, I'm going to stand accountable before God. I do not want you to sit here. I do not want you to walk in and walk out and have some false idea of some false sense of security about your eternal state. Because here's the thing. You can attend church a million times in your lifetime if you could. I don't think you could. But if you could, like if you spent every hour of your life in church, it still wouldn't be enough. If you read your Bible constantly, lodge yourself in a closet and just have people drop food and water by every day, doing nothing but praying and reading your Bible, it still wouldn't be enough. Our eternal security, the place that we will spend eternity is not based on what we do. It's based on faith in what he's done. And when we come to faith in what he's done, he begins to change from the inside out. But it's about a relationship with God. Here's the problem. Here's what makes me sad. I look around and I see so many people. And the room is full of people today. I guarantee who their joy in God has gotten hijacked by cultural Christianity. The joy in God has just gotten hijacked. It's gotten moved. It's gotten taken away from the true focus. Everybody look up. Look up here. It's gotten hijacked by the true focus on Christ and what this thing is all about. My question to you is what is your response to the gospel? Has your response been something other than the correct response? Well, what is the correct response? Look at Philippians 2 again. Verse 9 begins with therefore. Anytime you read therefore, look up above it because what he's about to refer to is what he just said, okay? And Paul says this, after he's described what Jesus did for us, Paul says, therefore, in other words, because of what Jesus did, this is what God did. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. And gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. In light of what Jesus did, what did God the Father do? He exalted him to the highest place. He exalted him to that place that is above everything else. He lifted him up higher than anything else. Therefore, because Jesus laid down his life, therefore, because Christ died on a cross, therefore, because he took my place, therefore, since he was dead, therefore, since he was buried, therefore, since three days later, he walked out of the grave, therefore, since he ascended to the right hand of God, therefore, since right now he makes intercession on my behalf, a sinner in need of a savior, therefore, he was exalted to the highest place. My question to you is, has that been your response to Jesus? Have you in your life exalted him to the highest place? Jesus is not a God among gods. Jesus is not another idol that we worship. Jesus is the savior of the world in whom we shall exalt to the highest place when we've truly seen him through the eyes of faith. Have you exalted him to the highest place in your life? What, how have you responded to the gospel? What should your response be 
in light of what Jesus has done, our response should be that of what God the Father did, that we exalt him, that we lift him up, that he has that highest place, that seat of authority in our lives, that we receive his, his um, offer of reconciliation through his body, through his sacrifice. And we come into a relationship with Jesus. And we come into confidence knowing that just as we sang today, that we have been anchored behind the veil. In other words, we have been anchored in his presence, that he is with us. Because through Jesus, we've been taken, or that separation between us and God has been bridged. Have you come to that place where you've accepted that offer? Have you come to the place where you've put him in the seat of authority over your life? Have you given him ownership of your life and all that's in it in a response of faith, in a response of recognition, in a response of your eyes having been opened to what God's done for you? How have you responded? Have you yielded your will to his will? When you saw him through the eyes of faith and you realized what Jesus did, how did you respond? Did you respond by trying to go to church a little more? Or did you respond by humbling yourself before the Savior of the world and coming into a relationship with him? I'll tell you this, trying to live the Christian life apart from Christ, is, is, it sounds stupid, right? But we do it all the time. And it's miserable and it's exhausting. Jesus fulfilled all of the requirements that we could come into a relationship. Now God's desire is that we'd be in a relationship with him and that he would transform us inwardly so that what's on the outside would begin to change. It's so backwards to our thinking. We think I'll get cleaned up and then I'll come to Jesus and Jesus says, why don't you just come to me and let me clean you up? You think, well, no way God could love me because of what I've done. And I would say, look at, Philippians 2, 5 through 8, and tell me that's not the most beautiful picture of God's love for us that you've ever seen, that he would do this for us. And yet so much of the junk, so much of the garbage that we've learned about Christianity has taken our eyes off of the beauty of the gospel and the power of a relationship with Christ and put it back on us. We'd start out in the spirit and in a relationship with Jesus and now we're just back to the old do's and the don'ts and the things that that we can do and can't do and won't do and will do and, and all of this stuff. And listen, if I could just get our eyes focused on Christ, he would transform the world through us. It's Jesus. That's the only answer. I remember when I went and I interviewed for a a youth pastor position. It was my first full-time ministry position. I felt sure God had called me to that position and they said, Well, how are you going to keep, these are questions I got to ask. How are you going to keep our kids from drinking? I'm going to try to get them to fall in love with Jesus. They said, how are you going to keep them from doing drugs? I said, I'm just going to try to get them to fall in love with Jesus. And I can see a little frustration. They said, well, how are you going to keep our kids from having sex? I'm going to get them to fall in love with Jesus. Because this is what I know when we fall in love with Christ and we see what he has done for us, our response through faith is to highly exalt him. And when he is exhausted, exalted, he changes things. He changes our lives. Listen, the Bible uses words like Lord, master, king to describe Jesus. Why? Because that's what he is. 
What is a master, a lord, a king that they have ownership? They call the shots. The great thing is you and I get to have a relationship with the God of the universe. We get to know him. We get to learn about him. We get to open our word, the word of God. We get to pray, not so that we can try to find favor, but to celebrate the favor he has given us through his grace, his unconditional love, his unmerited favor. It's a completely different way of thinking than what this cultural system tells us. I will tell you, you want to become like Christ, focus on Christ. Grow close to Jesus. Enjoy a relationship with him. Ask him to open the eyes of your heart. That you could see him more clearly. But don't settle for the lie that so pervades our culture. That just what we do here on Sunday is what it's about. Or you just attending 1.3 Sundays a month is good. And I applaud that. I applaud you being here. I applaud you coming to worship. But we come to worship because of what he's done, not so that we can try to please him. He loves us. And that makes my heart want to sing. It makes me want to share what he's done. But here's the thing I know from probably everybody in here, or most, a lot of people in here, you've grown up with this idea of what Christianity is, but you've never come to this place of knowing Christ. My question today is like, do you know him? You're like, what do you mean do I know him? I know my spouse. I know know my friends. I know you. Do you know him? Do you know him? Does he speak to your heart? Is there something in you that pushes you towards him? Even when you gone astray, even when you've wandered, because we all do, is there something that makes you say, I need Jesus? And there are people here today who've never made that decision. You've never accepted that invitation. Jesus has never been exalted to the highest place in your life. And maybe for you, you've touched around the issue, you've tiptoed around the water, you've been around Christians, you've been, been around, and people might even look at your life and go, they're a good person. Guess what? Good people go to hell. Saved people spend eternity with God that loves them. My question to you is, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Not a task list. My question to you, have you responded correctly to the gospel? There's one response to exalt him. There's one response to say, yes, I need him. Have you responded correctly? Possibly the most important question If you've never answered it, it is the most important question that you'll answer. Listen, if you haven't responded to him, will you respond to him today and say, yes, I need Christ? Will you respond to him today in faith because the Holy Spirit has stirred your heart and you say, yeah, I've been around church or maybe you haven't, maybe you walked in today and you were unchurched, you've never really been in a church hardly ever before. Just there's something in my heart that tells me I need Christ. Everything within me wants to exalt him and praise him for what he has done for me. And today you would say, I need to take that first step of accepting his invitation. I want to ask you to be very bold. And this, this is how we do things around here. We're a family. And, and we want to know if you've made that decision, if God has 
brought you to himself. If you know that God stirred your heart to bring you to a relationship with himself and you would accept Jesus's offer in your life, would begin to exalt him and you would take one step at a time following him. This is what we want you to do. You've never made that decision. I'm going to ask you right now, with everybody looking around, with with, with the lights on, with everything, would you stand to your feet and say, I need Christ. I need a relationship with Jesus. Would you be bold and be courageous and stand up and say, I want a relationship with a living God. I want my life to exalt him and to be a life that points people to him. You've never made that decision. And today you would say, yeah, in light of what God's done for me, my response will be, and I'm surrendering it to him today to exalt him. So your heart's beating hundred miles an hour. I'm going to ask you to stand, stand to your feet. We're going to celebrate because this is the thing I can tell you. You're not the only one. You're not the only one who feels that way. But you respond. You say yes to Christ's invitation. Amen. Vivian, will you pray with this lady? Ma'am, would you let us pray with you? And who else? Who else? Who else? Right now, you know, today is the day that God has spoken to my heart. And I know it's a hard thing, it's, but it's the best thing you'll ever do. Billy wants to talk to you a little bit. Welcome you into the kingdom, man. Hope you take next steps of faith. Listen, we could do this all afternoon. It'd be easier if everybody that wants to receive Christ and accept his offer would just stand up at one time. We can stay. We can stay as long as you'd like, but we've done this before where it was one at a time. But, and I'm just going to say one more time. Listen, today, you know, you know, you know, you are sitting there and you know that God is drawing you and there's some obstacle in your way. It might be your intellect. It might be something, but you know in your heart that Jesus is saying, I love you. I want a relationship with you. Get rid of the religious garbage and come into my arms. And today I pray you would see him arms open wide with nail scarred hands and a brow that's been been scratched that's been that's been scraped by briars uh, the thorns of thorns that were pressed on his head and today you would just say yes to him his invitation last time right now you stand to your feet say yes to Christ yes to what he's offered alright listen guys here's the thing This church is full of people right now, right here today. There's an obstacle in your way. There's something that's keeping you from exalting Jesus in your life. And and I mean, I could go through, it might be a marriage, it might be your job. There's so many things that might have a hold of your heart right now. And I can name them all, but this is what I know. You know, you already know right now, you know what that is. 
you know, it just came to your mind. The spirit just spoke to your heart and you know right now what that thing is. This is what I'm inviting you to do. The band is going to play. They're going to play some instrumental stuff to begin with. Then we're going to sing a little bit more of Cornerstone. What I'm asking you to do right now is you know that one thing. I'm going to ask you to take a tangible step of faith and you come down here and you lay it at the feet of your master and your Lord and your savior and your king. And you leave it there. And we're not coming down here to get a band-aid for our conscience. We're coming down here to leave something that we're not taking out of here with us. It's called repentance. It's where you turn from something that's hindering you from knowing Christ and you turn to Jesus. So I'm going to ask you to come right now. You can come as the band plays. You come and you get on your face before God. You say, yes, Jesus, you are my master. The Lord speaks to your heart and moves. You come now and you spend some time with the Lord. You come. Walk out of here free. Listen, don't worry. Whatever the person thinks about you next to you, who really cares? You're loved by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So you move as God prompts your heart to respond. I'm gonna be honest with you, this place ought to be full because there's not one person in here who doesn't have an obstacle. And if you wanna settle for cultural Christianity, that's fine, you do that. But I'm going after Jesus. And those of us who want to come after, let's go. Let's run and let's get after it. Today, don't settle for some hypocritical cultural game. Let's press into God together. Let's get after it. Let's change this community. Let's change the world through the power of Jesus. As they play, you come.